Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 16? John chapter 16. I'm going to preach on the very end of John 16, but I'm going to read the entire chapter as preparation. John 16, let us hear the word of God. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doth God service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not because that I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Where goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Nevertheless, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall shew it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall shew it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall, shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he said? A little while. We cannot tell what he said. Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, but her hour is come. But as soon, because her hour is come, but as soon as they, it, as she is delivered of the child. She remembereth no more the anguish for the joy of a man that is born into the world. And ye now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. 
And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh that when I shall no longer speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I, shall no, and, and, and I say not unto you that I will pray to the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is the word of God. It is holy, inerrant, inspired. It is written by God, and it is written for us, that we might know what to believe, that we might know how to live, and on its pages we might meet the living Christ. May we pray together. Father, open us to your word. Make your truth powerful, effective, compelling, attractive, and drawing in our lives. Any, any area of rebellion in our hearts, O God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, confront us, convict us, and bring us to repentance that we might yearn earnestly to follow you with all of our hearts, all of our days. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. John chapter 16 is the final section of Jesus' instruction with the disciples on the last night. He was headed in just a few hours to go to the cross. It, was, it would, wouldn't be long at all until he would have the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, and then he would go out and he would make his way across the Kidron Valley and, and the into the Garden of Gethsemane, they would come and seize him and arrest him, and all the events would unfold that will be actually remembered later this week. As he was encountering the disciples in this last time, he was speaking to them in terms of the realities that they would encounter. John chapter 13 describes the event of him understanding that he had come from God, that he was on a mission. He was sent from God, and he was coming to do these things, and then he was returning to God. Chapter 14 opens with that whole matter in terms of don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. And then the promise of saying that there were abundant places for them that God would provide for them and care for them. He made a series of promises and he had a series of discussions with them in John 14. Chapter 15 opens with the matter of the vine and the branch and of speaking about how that our life in Christ 
is productive, has something fruitful and beneficial to accomplish, that God wants to do something through the life of every one of His children. Then He comes at the end of John chapter 15, and He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when I send the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to witness to these things, and is going to bear witness to me. But He said, you're going to be engaged in that witness with the accompanying ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then having said that, he prepares them in chapter 16 for this whole matter of the things that they would encounter. And so if you look with me at chapter 16, you look at the opening verse, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. He says, these things I've spoken unto you, there's something intentional that he's saying. Then you go to chapter 16 and verse 33, and he says again, these things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. My text tonight is John chapter 16 and verse 33. Are any of you familiar with a baguette? Any of you know what a baguette is? Okay, I'm here from England and uh, over there they talk about baguettes. Over here, you tend to refer to them as a sandwich or as a hoagie or as a sub, okay? You have one slice of bread, and then you have another slice of bread or another piece of bread, and in between is something sandwiched. If you think of John chapter 16 as a hoagie or as a sandwich or as a baguette, okay? 16.1 lays out one parameter of saying, I've spoken these things to you to prepare you. And 16. 33 concludes with saying, here's what I'm doing to send you forth. Now, look with me at this passage together tonight. Chapter 16, verse 33. I would ask you to note with me four things from our passage. Number one, the purpose for the instruction that he has given. The purpose for the instruction he has given. Chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. The purpose for the instruction, I want you to underscore that Jesus was teaching by design. It was not simply a random conscience uh, uh, experience. It was a matter in terms of, it wasn't a stream of conscience. There was something intentional that he wanted to convey and communicate to his hearers. And so, as he describes this, he says, I've spoken unto you these things, that in me ye might have peace. Now, if you walk, walk with me back to chapter 14, I want you to see another reference that he makes in this matter in terms of his intentional work and ministry. Chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken unto you, being present with you, but the Comforter who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In 1425, he's saying, I'm speaking these things and those things in anticipation that he had already taught them in chapter 14. He comes down and he says, now, here's a summary. I've given you these things, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and reinforce them, is going to come and and follow through. And then you find in chapter 16, as I've already alluded to in verse 1, where he says, I've spoken these things to you, so that you will not become a casualty when difficulties come 
confronting you regarding your commitment to Jesus Christ. That's really what it, 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 I'm, I'm summarizing it, but I'm saying these things I've spoken to you that you should not be offended. Uh, it's one thing to talk about the Jesus that will build your sex life and make you wealthy and, and this is your best life now. But the reality is that is a distorted Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible. And that does not prepare you to follow in the real life. I, we have a young man who has been coming to the church in London where I'm now serving and, and a young man from, of all places, Zimbabwe. He was a part of the, the musical team and, and so forth of a Joel Osteen extension in London. And I'm not sure all the details yet of how he found our church in terms of the Internet and, and the information, etc. But he's been traveling by public transportation two hours in order to come and to be a part of their work. And he was talking the other week. He said, Dr. Martin, he said, I have been taught all along that this is our best life now. And he said, I just kept finding that there, it wasn't. <laughs> yes, that's right. Come ahead. <laughs> All right. Jesus was preparing people for a reality. To follow the Jesus who is, not the Jesus that is marketed and sold for the benefit of moi. So Jesus was intentionally working with them. Now, I, I want you to go with me to chapter 20. Chapter 20. John's Gospel. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating study to work through John's Gospel. John, John chapter 20. And notice what he says in verse 30. John chapter 20 and verse 30. And many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But now notice verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye may have life through his name. John says that this gospel was written intentionally by design and on purpose to introduce you to the real Jesus who is, that you might come to believe in him, that you might come to embrace him, that you might come to know him as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, back to John chapter 16. I'm asking you to note, and that first point, Jesus was giving purpose for his instruction. So the purpose for instruction he has given. Number two, the possession you can have. Notice with me in verse 33 again. These things I have spoken unto you. Intentional. Now, what's he opening up? Here he says, here's a possession you can have. That in me ye might have peace. The possession you can have, peace. God uniquely grants peace to his children. Turn back to chapter 14, verse 27. A verse that I hope you have memorized, and if you haven't, it would be a great verse for you to memorize. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace. 
Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you that you might have peace. God offers and extends and gives peace to his children. Go back with me to the Old Testament. Yeah, you can't, you, you can't take something like this and say, well, where did Jesus get it? Well, come back with me to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. I'm only taking a synopsis of a few passages in the Old Testament, but I want you to see the richness of the background of this. In Isaiah 48, in verse 16, you have those marvelous words of saying, Come near unto me and hear this. I have spoken not in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and His Spirit hath sent me. And so it goes on to describe the messianic, redeeming work of Jesus. Verse 17, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, who teacheth thee to profit, who leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Now drop down to verse 20. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing declare, tell this, utter it in the end of the earth, say, The Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob, and they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts, and caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He cleft the rock also, and the waters gushed out. I would argue that here he's speaking about God's work that he did at the time of the Exodus, earlier in the Old Testament. And now notice verse 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord God, unto the wicked. To the wicked, there is no peace. There is an ongoing, agonizing restlessness of them. Go with me. Remember the sandwich idea. Okay, Genesis 48, or excuse me, Isaiah 48. Now go with me to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. Going to look at the other side of the sandwich. Isaiah 57. Verse 19. Isaiah 57, verse 19. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace. Peace to him that is far off. And peace to him that is near, saith the Lord. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest, <clears throat> whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Remember one side, okay, slice one, slice two. I've got to find something better in, or something helpful in between. Go with me to chapter 54, Isaiah 54. Now, it's a matter of saying, to the wicked there is no peace. Well, then, where is their peace? Isaiah 54. Verse 10. The mountains shall depart, the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my, what? Peace be removed, saith the Lord, who hath mercy on thee. And the passage unfolds, but it's a marvelous promise. And I will argue that that is the very thing that Jesus is alluding to in John 14, 27, in terms of this promise that, that was made back in the Old Testament of Jesus saying, I am the fulfillment of it. Turn with me to, to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. 
Ezekiel chapter 37. This follows after the passage in terms of the valley of the dry bones. And now notice verse 26. Ezekiel 37, verse 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people And the nations shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Here's the point. In the heart of his instruction there, he says, I'm going to make a covenant of peace. Jesus says, John 14, 27, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. In this city and throughout this nation and throughout the world, there are ongoing agonizing cries for peace that are not able to be satisfied. There is an intense restlessness. And Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you that in me you might have peace. Ah, but you see, There's the key of it, isn't it? You see what he says? I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. The possession that you can have peace is only through Jesus Christ. That's the underscoring point. I'm not a devotee of Dave Ramsey. And I think he's probably still on the radio. I I don't listen to radio much in England, so I don't know. But uh, Dave Ramsey used to say, the only way to peace... It's through the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. On that, I will agree with Dave Ramsey. Okay. Uh, it's only through Christ. It's only through Christ, dear one, that you can have peace. And he promises it and he offers it. Well, first of all, the purpose for the instruction he has given. Number two, the possession that you can have, peace. When it is won by Christ... It is that which becomes ours. How do we get that? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, notice what it says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He provides justification, declaring us to be righteous before God through the work that He provided for us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. I'll back up to verse 13. Now, but now in Christ Jesus... Ye who once were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace 
that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to them that were near. What an incredible passage. What a marvelous passage of saying that it is through Christ that we have peace. We have peace with God. And guess what? We have peace with humankind, with our our fellow brothers and sisters in this world. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Back up to verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. and, And the passage continues. But my point is that in verse 20 he says, Through Christ, peace has been provided for us between us and God. And then... One other passage, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We have the peace of relationship between us and God. But how do we have the peace that sustains us in the crucible of life? Jesus said, I have come and I've instructed you on these things, that in me you may have peace. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, guard, protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, If there be any virtue, if there be anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Now notice verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You see, he underscores this whole matter of saying that we have an abiding peace in life through the atoning work of Christ and through you knowing him, then there is a, an abiding quality of peace that will go with you and accompany you through everything that you encounter, every experience, the highs, the lows, the ins, the outs, the difficulties. It will be there. It will guard your heart and mind. Think on these things. He gives us that thought list. Now, you, you need a grocery list or you use a grocery list or you put it on your iPad or whatever. Uh, Here he says, there's a thought list. Think on these things. And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. 24-7. Two o'clock in the morning. When there are those strange sounds going through and so forth. No, no. The God of peace is with you. That's the reality that he promises. But now, 
Back to John 16. You see, he establishes this. He says, I've told you these things. I've spoken to you you, uh, that you might have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Here we come then to the third point, and that is the reality that we must face. In the world, we will face tribulation. That's his promise. In manifold expressions. Now, I remember when I was uh, a very young pastor, a long time ago now, but I was brought into the Bible Fellowship Church, and I I was to preach a sermon in terms of the the young pastors, and I was newly at the, the church where my wife and I had gone And I was to preach from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in terms of the matter of suffering and persecution in serving in the ministry. And I got up and and I I, I preached on the passage and I dealt with the exegesis, but one of the older pastors said, I didn't hear anything personal of you going through anything. Well, you know, I had pastored, I had started in 1973, helping as an assistant pastor in Clearwater, Florida. So, I, But in those 10 years, I really hadn't gone through that much. And I remember Ronald Mahuron looking at me and he's saying, well, he said, I'm here to tell you. He said, I'd like to talk to you in another 20 or 30 years and see if you have nothing to say about this passage. Well, I'm here to say to you that in this world, you will have tribulations. Looking down the barrel of a gun, somebody saying to you, don't come another step, Pastor, or I'm going to kill you. What do you do at a point like that? Well, when it's one of your parishioners, you reach through the door and you open the door and you push the gun away. And I will never forget sitting down with that woman, her breaking down and just sobbing. Here was a snub nose that she was pointing right at me. And she said, don't come another step, I'll kill you. But that was child's play concerning other things that I've encountered through the years. And I'm here to tell you that we live in a real world where there is hostility against God and hostility against Jesus... And the way that the world gets its hands, they can't get Jesus and strangle him. They can't get to God. So they do what Cain did back in the time after Eden. Remember Abel brought his offering and it was acceptable to the Lord. Cain's was not. So they're out in the field at a later point. Cain couldn't get his hands on God, but he could get his hands on Abel. And he murdered him. I embarked on the whole program of doing research on John's Gospel, John 13 through 16, 13 through 17 of all passages. I had a Skype interview in February where my supervisors asked me the question. They said, When do you think that Isaiah was written? Oh, I said, Pre-exilic. And they both looked at each other like, where did this guy crawl out from? So my supervisor wrote on my chapter of saying, you will write Deutero-Isaiah, you will write Trito-Isaiah. 
And I had written, because if you'll turn back with me to John chapter 12, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we come to the the very instruction that he gives in, in John chapter 12, and look with me at verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now that's from Isaiah 53. And notice what John says in terms of verse 38. Notice who he says wrote it. Isaiah. Okay? Verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said... What does it say in your Bible? Oh, okay. These things said Isaiah when he saw the glory, saw his glory, and spoke of him. John says, Isaiah saw Christ. John says that Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53, and John says that Isaiah wrote Isaiah chapter 6. Well, I was in hot water because I said, John said that. They said, you know that he was pulling for anything. You have no idea where those sources, and he had no idea where those sources came from. Wait, wait, wait. This is doing Ph.D. work in studying the Bible. Yeah, that's right. But that's part of the challenge of working in the academic arena today. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But see, that's really nothing when I think in terms of this weekend, of today, of the 41 people being massacred by the Boko Haram in Nigeria. And Sunday after Sunday, when I look out in a congregation and and, and about the, the next row back, there's a lady there from Nigeria who has just come back from Calabar and is told of some of the situations taking place in other parts. Thus far, it's still peaceful in Calabar. Suddenly, when I read news about Nigeria, it takes on a different interest to me because when you realize the Boko Haram, their intentional goal is to round up Christians. Or you think in terms of ISIS, of rounding up the Coptic Christians in in Libya and taking them out and then lining them up along the Mediterranean Sea and asking them, do you still confess Jesus? And they said, yes, and they cut their heads off. And as their water went into the ocean, they said, this is the blood, and one day we're going to take over Rome. And the report that I read this week said that that is weeks away rather than months away. You say, oh, well, but those are Coptics, those are Egyptians. Well, suddenly... I received an email last week when I was still in London. They rounded up another group in Libya, and they were Filipinos. Wait, wait, wait. My daughter's marrying a Filipino next Saturday. Whoa, wait. These people are from Manila. These people are from the islands of of, of the Philippines. They're rounding them up, and they can live 
They're taking little children his age and telling them, you can live if you'll say no to Jesus. And little children in Syria, in Iraq, in those areas of the Middle East, are being lined up and they're cutting their heads off if they say, I love Jesus. Well, wait. Do we know that they are five-point Calvinists? Do we know? No, I don't. But here's what I know. That in this year, there have been hundreds of children who have given their lives rather than turn their back on Jesus Christ. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. Do I say to them, oh, no, 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 we're all simply going to walk out and we'll have no tribulation in this world? Oh, no. That's the reality of it. Where I'm serving in London, you've heard of the man Jihadi John, perhaps in the news here. Jihadi John, his parents live within one mile of the church where I'm serving in London. That's the world we live in. Now, what do we do? Well, we don't crawl into a hole and, and pull the shutters down and say, what are we going to do? Let's blow up everybody. No. What does Jesus say? Go back with me to John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Uh, the reality that we must face is that we're in a world that is filled with tribulation and difficulties. Uh, I, I, just, I, I was utterly shocked when news came into the UK last week or earlier this month, in terms of the Vice President of the United States standing in a meeting in the first weekend of March of this, this year, standing in Washington, D.C., at a meeting of a, of a major lobbying organization and saying, my, and then he used the name God to say, what are we going to do? We've got to get rid of these Christians because of those who are standing in terms of biblical understanding of marriage. It was in the face of saying, we're going to do away with them, and their numbers are dwindling, and we're going to finally be rid of them. I was utterly stunned. But that's the world that we today live in, that you live in, in this state that you live in. It is a war. A holy war. But Jesus calls us to be aware that we are engaged in that war and that we are to advance the truth in the face of error. And so he comes with that final thing, the assurance that we must have. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What is our hope? Ah, look in the mirror in the morning and say, Yes, you can. We can. Oh, no, dear ones. All the positive expression all the positive confession, all those things, at the end of the day, will leave you bankrupt. Jesus said, we've got to look to him. We've got to look to him. Jesus is our victor. 
He has overcome the world. In Genesis chapter 3, we reminded that Eve was confronted with temptation. As she was confronted with temptation, it was the matter that it appealed to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, he says, All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of the life, these things, John, 15, or John 2, 15 through 17, he says, these things don't come from God. Jesus says, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You're not going to get news tomorrow morning that Jesus has been caught doing something illicit. Jesus overcame the world. So Hebrews chapter 4, I, I could call on, on, on uh, Mrs. Samick, I'm sure, to quote it because she did so well on her exam in writing it a number of years ago now. But, but Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, speaks of us having a great high priest who is one who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, who is tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And then he says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's the invitation for you. That's the invitation for me. In this world, we will have tribulation. But Jesus says, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There was nothing in temptation that held, that, that was holding back. You know, when you give in to a temptation, there's something that says, oh, you just can't live with that. Oh, you just got to have... Not with Jesus. There was nothing in the temptation that, that was in reserve. He overcame the world. And He empowers you and me to overcome, to move forward, to serve Him and to follow Him. Jack Murray was an evangelist that I worked with and traveled with for a number of years. And he told once of somebody who had been commissioned to paint a portrait of peace. And so they painted a, a bird on a branch in a lovely pastoral scene with a quiet stream running down. And there was a blue sky and clouds in the sky, just a few clouds in the sky, but the sunshine and the, the brilliance of the light was there and said, there's peace. And somebody came by as a critic and said, no, 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 no. We've got to take it and darken the clouds and make, instead of a quiet stream, have it overrunning its banks and have, it wa have waves jumping up and have storm clouds and have rain coming down and still have the birds sitting on the branch singing, there is peace. The mixed quartet of Bible evangelism used to sing a number that I, I had to write to Pennsylvania to get the words for. It says, Oh, what a blessing to know the Lord in such a trouble-filled hour. Only His presence can peace afford. Give us assurance and power. Peace in a troubled world. Jesus gives today. Peace in a troubled world peace that will not pass away. Shadows may deepen and clouds grow dim. Calm is the one who is trusting in Him. Peace in a troubled world. Jesus gives today.
Friend, are you wearied? Are you filled with fear? Facing a future unknown? Jesus the Savior can bring you cheer. He will not leave you alone. Peace in a troubled world. Jesus gives today. Peace in a troubled world. Peace that will not pass away. Shadows may deepen and hopes grow dim. Calm is the one who is trusting in him. Peace in a troubled world. Jesus gives today. Do you know God's peace? Do you know it in a real and practical way in your life? If not, Jesus said, I've said these things that you may have peace in me. Do you have God's peace? If not, do you want God's peace? You can have it through Jesus Christ. You acknowledge your rebellion against God and ask for the forgiving work of Jesus to be applied to your account, and he will forgive you and provide you that peace that the world cannot give nor take away. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, how wonderful to know you as we walk in the midst of a real world with real temptations, with real tribulations, with real difficulties. But Lord, as you have met the needs and cries of believers throughout the centuries, and as you're doing so, even at this time in the Middle East and in Africa and in other places around the world, you're doing that here too. Thank you for being a faithful father. And thank you for your peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.